Before we get started, I want to give a shout out to another podcast in the mobility space that I think you'll enjoy, the Rideshare Guy podcast by Harry Campbell. Harry has become a trusted expert on all things rideshare, and he may be the only person ever to have driven for Uber and also interviewed Uber's CEO on a podcast. On the Rideshare Guy podcast, Harry interviews a wide range of industry and thought leaders in the rideshare and mobility space. You can find and subscribe to the Rideshare Guy podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. This is Smarter Cars, a podcast about autonomous vehicles and the future of transportation. Welcome to season four. This is your host, Michelle Kairouz. Today we're interviewing Colin Roche, the co-founder and CEO of SwiftMile, a company that makes and deploys charging stations for electric bikes, scooters, and other micromobility devices. Colin, welcome to the show. Hello, Michelle. Thanks for having us on. Can you start by telling us what SwiftMile does and what problem you're trying to solve? Yeah, so think of SwiftMile as kind of like the, the new gas station of the future, but instead for gas cars, it's for shared light electric vehicles. That could be scooters, that could be bikes, that could be trikes, that could be sidewalk delivery drones, that could be drones themselves. We are the, the charging platform because everything's electrified. And that's kind of the piece that we bring to this puzzle. And specifically today, what we're helping solve for is, you know, the world of micromobility really took off, certainly with scooters. And they're great because they're emission-free and they help you know, decrease traffic and congestion. But there's issues with them, and in, in specifically around clutter and around um, these things have to charge. And so instead of having people driving cars to pick them up, which adds more congestion and traffic, what our system does is it allows you basically to charge these things in the field. So they're always charged up, ready to go, and then we monitor all that, and uh, we can share that data with cities and operators. We can also power it with um, solar, which makes it 100% renewable power transit when you apply that. So we're trying to really help make a healthier ecosystem for micromobility. Great. And where are you currently deployed? So we're really excited to kick off this new year 2020 with we just deployed our 100th station. And so we're in lots of areas in the U.S. We're in Florida. We're in Washington, D.C. We're in um, Minneapolis. We're going inside to, um, to Austin and we're going into Salt Lake City and Tel Aviv. And then we're in, in Europe. We're in Bonn and we're also in Berlin. And we're on track to do, uh, we say 2020 by 2020. So 2020 stations by the end of 2020. So how do you approach launching your service in a city? I assume you need permission to set up this infrastructure. Yeah, so we have two ways we've gone about it. One is we work with operators to deploy it on private property. So, for example, Spin and Lime are partners of ours where they'll put, you know, they might brand it their own and then they'll place it outside of commercial real estate, hotels, places like that, or eateries or retail shops. But specifically for the city, where we've had a really good start point with them is cities don't want multiple different kinds of infrastructure. Like, in other words, they want one to kind of rule them all. So they want an agnostic system that can work with all the different operators. So in that specific instance, we work with the city to show, okay, look, we can help basically work with all of them because our system's really smart. It detects 
what kinds of scooters they are, what type of um, battery they are, whether 36 volt or 48. Um, and we can also detect who the operator is. And so with that, then we become sort of the one, um, it's almost like you don't have a, you don't have parking station systems or parking spots for different kinds of auto vehicles. You know, why should you do that same thing for, for scooters and bikes? And so when we work with the cities, we show that, and then they give us permission in the street furniture zone. And then that's like an encroachment permit. And then we deploy them and then we work with the operators in terms of monetization. So it sounds like you have two different kinds of relationships. One that's public with the cities and the other is more of a relationship with other private companies on private land. For the relationship with cities where you're putting your devices on uh, public land, you mentioned an encroachment permit. Are there other fees that the cities are charging you or is it just a flat encroachment fee or how, how does that contractual relationship work with the city? Well, you know, this whole market's evolving as we speak. And so this process is as well. I mean, cities, when they first got, you know, when scooters first showed up, a lot of cities didn't know what to do. So even in this process, we're helping kind of pioneer the way to make this happen. And so it's kind of different so far with some cities. So for example, if we just do an encroachment permit, we're showing we're solving for a public good and we can help kind of create, like I mentioned, a better ecosystem for these things. So as a result, cities are pretty eager to say, okay, you know, we'll do this pretty nominal fee to allow us to deploy. Others, like for example, um, we want a consortium as part of a bid with the city of Pittsburgh with Spin and Waze and uh, Transit App and Zipcar. In that instance, the city, because it's an RFP, we're able to go in there and be part of an actual whole cohesive micromobility solution. So that's a lot different process than just encroachment permits because that's kind of a collective system that we're all going in together. But like I said, it, it varies a little bit. So that's more of like a micromobility hub yeah, in yeah. Pittsburgh? Yeah. Exactly. exactly. So... How long does it take for you to work things out with a city, find locations, get your equipment installed? What does the process look like for you? Well, I, I, you know, a couple of examples. What we generally do is where, you know, our mantra is wherever scooters are, there we go. And so it's not too hard to see what cities need the most help. If you have a city with 15,000 scooters deployed, you're likely going to have run into just some growing pains that are all very fixable. So in that, it works a lot quicker. And so what we do is we approach the city and we say, we'd love to do a pilot with you. Here's how we've deployed today. And here's what the merits of the system do. And if you give us permission in, in, the, in the public right away, we can demonstrate to you how the system works. And when you do it like that, you know, that gets your foot in the door and allows you to prove yourself and not just your, your, the solution, but you as a business and, and build trust with the city and then scale from there. And so it can vary. I mean, one city that we worked with, it was a two-month process from meeting to actually site selection. And we're getting ready to deploy now for that here coming up in uh, February or March. So pretty quick. And you know, the reason why I I say we got lucky in some respects is because this it's unprecedented disruption in terms of transportation, when micromobility really came on, that there's a lot of urgency to put the pieces in place to support what's already happened, to support all this usage of the different transit options. And so it, it kind of rises to the top, but considering other kind of processes you'd have to go through to work with the city. So how many scooters do you need out there in a city 
for you to really justify installing docks? Like, is there a ratio of number of permitted scooters? And then you do some math as to how many docks you think would be appropriate in that city? Or how do you think about that? Yeah, well, we are all about building a program within a city. We're not just selling a product. We want to have a program that can scale and that can also evolve. Because today it's scooters. What is it going to be tomorrow? So we built our system to be pretty flexible. And so we take a look at a city. Obviously, that there's, a, you know, there has to be an excess of it. At least for us, it's about 300 scooters. And then what we advocate for is we say, look, we're certainly not asking to go back to a dock-based system. That, that's not the point of our company or what we're saying. But in really high-traffic areas, busy areas, where the scooters get left around, that's where you place these. It's, it's like a semi-dockless system. And so what we, we talk with cities at is we say a good starting point is like a three-to-one ratio. For every three scooters, there should be one parking spot available, parking and charging spot available. So, so that kind of gives you the, the, the math on that. And then some cities say, whoa, whoa, whoa I, I want way more than that. I want one-to-one because there, there are some cities that are see the merits of micromobility and really love it, but they want a lot more order because especially with ADA compliance and blocking sidewalks and stuff, that's a real no-no with cities. And so it, it's sort of, you know, three to one is a minimum in terms of a ratio. And so how do you decide where to place the docks? You mentioned high traffic areas. Are you trying to, to get coverage where you're also putting them a little further away because it would be, uh, a more distant location to have to go and pick up and charge a scooter, or are you just trying to organize in neighborhoods where there are too many scooters and it creates clutter? Well, we take a date approach as best we can. So there's like all the operators have heat maps of where the scooters end up, where the highest usage is. Cities also um, often have that as well. But then there's also logically, if you, if you go to any very busy city that, that has you know, something deployed, you can pretty much see kind of the, you can certainly see the easy low-hanging fruit areas that, that are like, okay, in this busy section right here on this corner, this would be a no-brainer to put something. But we also want to make sure that we create the first last mile option. So if there might be a spot out by a train station or a bus stop that gets high use, you know, a lot of traffic in the morning and then, and then the, you know, the, it doesn't get back there until later the afternoon or the, the evening when people return from, let's say, a bus, and then they need that option to go over the last mile. The easy way we deploy up front is we put these in the areas it's needed most, which is generally kind of in congested downtown areas of large cities. Let's talk about what your docks look like and some of the technology in terms of how it works. You mentioned in the beginning that it can charge all types of scooters. Do you also charge electric bikes or mopeds? How does it work? Why don't you describe for us what it looks like and then how someone would pull up and connect to the dock and how that works? Yeah, sure. So our current one that we're deploying the most of, it's called the Oasis. The scooters come in, they take a little break, they get a little charge. We even give them a little health check. We run a quick diagnostic on them to see if, if the scooter's charging correctly because a lot of them get a bad cell, battery cell in there that might impede it, in which case we can flag that scooter to let the operator know, um, hey, you've got a faulty scooter or faulty battery. And so the way it works is with operators, they use our open APIs and they direct users. So they might say, Michelle, when you're done riding, if you park it in one, in one of our many charging stations, um, we'll give you some form of a credit. It might be a free ride. It might be a discount. It might just be, you might collect 
some form of tokens on there and then you can cash those in for, you know, like a, a filled coffee or something like that. So for the user, it's pretty intuitive. It's, it's no different when you see a bike rack and you go up and you put the bike in and then you just plug this little dongle in. Um, and that's the incentive part. That's the part that, that they ask you to do. And then that scooter, the first thing that happens is we pulse that scooter and we say, okay, what type of scooter is it? What's the size of the battery? How much charge is in it? Who's in it? And then we commence charging. And then like, for example, if this has, let's say it only has like 5% charge, we can send a command via our APIs to the operator saying, take your scooter off the app, make it unavailable. And then we could charge this. And depending on what the setting is they want, let's say when it gets to like 50% charge, then we have the light goes green on the station. And then we send the command back to the operator saying, hey, this this thing's up to 50%. You can uh, have it be available to rent. Um, but it still stay, stays charging, but it's, it just shows that it's available to rent. So we built a lot of intelligence into the system to be able to maximize any fleet operator's fleet and, and to manage it correctly. The, the other system we have, which is really where we started, was with our electric bike sharing system. That's where we deployed that at Google, Tesla, ChargePoint, um, and some others. That system, we're about to add, we're about to re kind of tool that to fit more in line with how the Oasis works. That one was our kind of first gen. And so the way that one will work too is you'll pull up, but it, the form factor will accept the bike easier than, than right now it's built to hold the neck of a scooter. And so the bike one, we're just going to f- change the form factor to fit the neck of a bike. And then the exact same thing happens. You plug it in, it detects what it is, um, and then it commences charging. So the, the big piece of this though that cities are interested in that we're going to start deploying as well is for personal owned vehicles, which is a major market, by the way, bikes have taken off, scooters have taken off because everybody did a test ride with them, right? Whether it be a bird, a lime or a jump bike or whatever. So a lot of people now are buying these vehicles. And so we have a solution for that as well, where they can, they can park and lock it and then start charging with our system. So today when you have these docking systems for kick scooters, those are only for scooters that are owned by shared mobility providers and not for personally owned or can someone also today pull up and pay for it in some way? No, no. As a matter of fact, what we do is you can pull up with your own scooter and you could do it for free because we want to encourage and show two cities in particular that look, the more options you give to eliminate the, the SOV, the single occupancy vehicle trip, the better it is for cities of the future in particular. And so for us, that's okay because that, that's right now that market is growing, but we're fine to just do it to show we're good community citizens. And then we also can then share how many people have done it, how many people plugged in, how many people charged. So we could share that kind of data to show that these things are giving off a lot of, not just the power to the vehicles, but, but they're also helping enable people that want to use other forms of transportation other than a car. So tell me about the power. How are you getting your electricity and how does that work? And then how long does it take you to charge each kick scooter? So it's a great question. The first way we prefer to do it when we can is power it by solar. And so effectively what we designed is a system that, that solar panels charge our own onboard batteries, which are thick of them like car batteries, that then charge into the vehicles. And so in that situation, we can set up anywhere. It's great. You know, like I mentioned, it's 100% renewable powered. And it's a great showcase really to the community by showing great use of solar and application that people can actually use. 
oftentimes solar is powering like a light, LED light or something like that or, or some kind of safety light. This is actually powering something you can get on and ride off into the sunset. If we don't have that, the second option is we wire it. So we, we plug it into the grid. A big kind of bonus we have, the way we built the system is we don't, our power requirements are really 120, just a regular wall outlet. It's not like a, like a car charger where it requires a tremendous amount of power to, to power the vehicles. So like on private property, that's relatively easy. We get permission and we just run some conduit. With the cities, the way we've gotten in with some others is we say, oh, look, we understand that can delay things because because running power, you know, with cities and the permits required. So look, why don't we just prove this to you without that? We'll swap our batteries. And so we built a system that we can swap the batteries in our in our um, station maybe once a week. But you can show the usage and everything, and then that 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 leads to being able to get the power wired up. So that's just one of the other solutions. The other one that we're just doing now, um, and we're going to be starting to work with Verizon on this, is to be able to actually just plug into light poles because, you know, light poles on every city block and there's a system designed that we could just tap into those. And so that's nice because those are spaced commonly throughout cities, like, like how we would like to be spaced. And that'll give us another access to charge, basically to the electricity. So you pay for the electricity and then the shared mobility providers that are using your docks when their scooters pull up, how do you charge to recoup some of that cost? What's interesting about this is the cost of the electricity is really low. You know, for it's like to charge a scooter, it's something, I mean, depending on the battery size, it's like 20 cents. But it's the access and the run, you know, it's, it's the access to the parking and the charging side. So the power itself is not very expensive, but we can meter the power. And so by us being able to meter, that means we could show how much went into this you know, scooter versus that system. Um, and so what might cost, let's say, a scooter operator $9 on average for someone to pick a scooter up, take it home, charge it, and then bring it back in the morning, um, you know, that might cost them $9 with our system, let's say, depending on the market, it might cost them 3 But there's some other really strong benefits we identified that really make it a high incentive for them. For example, when you take scooters and you throw 20 of them in the back of a truck, the scooters get really beat up. Whereas, you know, brake levels break and then cables get pulled and then you take them home and then you charge them up and then you throw them all back in the truck again. And, and there's just a lot. I mean, we did it with our own bikes and we were trying to be gentle with them, with the ones that we deployed and just found, man, that that's, these things just get beat up and that decreases their bike longevity of the vehicle, which is, you know, very much impacts their unit economics. So there's that side that saves. And then the other one we identify too, is if these are sipping throughout the day, lithium ion batteries love to sip. So like they charge up really quick. So back to your one question, how quick can you charge them? If it has like, let's say 10% charge, we can take it up to like 80% charge in less than an hour. So it goes pretty quick. And so if your scooter is always charging throughout the day, then you're, you can monetize that asset much better than in a common example is right now, scooters get ridden in the morning, the afternoon, and then they tend to not be available like around, you know, four o'clock on and so that creates a bad user experience for me. You go up to a scooter, this one doesn't work, no battery. You go up to a scooter, this one doesn't work, no battery. Meanwhile, that thing could be generating revenue for them if, if it still had, still had use in it. And so we're able to show in about four different kind of instances why this is kind of a game changer for operators to have a, have a much more efficient system. And it makes the cities love them. 
So scooters can be charged continually throughout the day. You don't have to pay a human to go and pick them up, collect them once or twice a day and put them back out and with the wear and tear there. And you save the emissions of people driving around in trucks, cleaning up your scooters. And they're also keeping the scooters a little more tidy while they're charging. Michelle, you are a great listener. I couldn't have said it any better. So one of the developments we heard about at the end of last year was the idea of autonomous scooters or scooters that are being driven using teleoperations. And one of the benefits there is similar that scooters can drive themselves to a charging station or drive themselves to reposition in neighborhoods. Is it possible uh, for you to develop your docks in such a way that an autonomous scooter could be driven up and start charging without having to insert the dongle, which seems to be the human piece to your puzzle? Yeah, as a matter of fact, we're already we're already working on that. With I'll give a shout out to um, Dimitri over at Tortoise. We're, we have a, a demo unit of that. We're actually um, just going to be kind of showcasing here something soon. But yeah, think of our station kind of like the we're a Roomba, you know, the vacuum cleaner, how it inserts itself. And so we have at our core, our brain is what is the most important asset of the whole system. So it's very configurable to many different form factors. And so. One of the other ones we have is you just put this simple adapter on the scooter, and when it it sort of you know comes up and inserts itself into the system, the contacts make contact with our system, and and then everything just starts just as if you plugged it in. And so that that's entirely doable, and and we're already working, like I said, on a demo for that. You mentioned also that you're doing some co-branded sites for specific operators, and also putting some of your charging stations on private land, like at corporate sites, hotels, restaurants, universities, things of that nature. Can you talk about yep. that program and how you're working with private companies? Yeah, so we're a little fortunate in that we've been working on this stuff since 2015 when nobody was really thinking about it. Um, I call it my Don Quixote days. You know, we say, hey, someday there's going to be scooters, there's going to be bikes, they're going to be everywhere. And, you know, finally in 2018, when it hit, then people can really start to connect the dots. Um, so, like, you look at private properties, and one of those new concepts that we've helped develop is mobility hubs. And if you think about, like, hotels, for instance, hotels have changed drastically in the last few years in regards to how you get there and how you leave from there. Before you're on a trip, you rent a car, you drive to a hotel, and that's your vehicle, you know, how you get around. Well, now, people Uber and Lyft a heck of a lot more to a hotel than they than they rent a car. I'm, I'm sure it's probably how you do it. That's how I do it. So now you're at the hotel. Well, to get around, I, I need to get back in a vehicle, into a car. Well, the so now when you add different modalities, such as an electric bike or a scooter, all of a sudden, that becomes a pretty active high-usage mobility hub. And so, like, in that instance, what happens, um, like, Spin's a great partner of ours. They, they deploy it on a lot of hotels where they will – it acts as a – a differentiator for the hotel, or let's say it's commercial, you know, real estate, and, and the, the users might be the tenants, um, or it might be multi-family, you know, multi-tenant family housing. And so, by offering this, then we install our station. They provide the scooters, um, and oftentimes it's like a round trip. And so the scooter gets high usage, 
it adds this great perk to the users. They still pay for it, you know, as you would with any dockless system. And then the hotel gets to now almost have like a whole new service that they never had before. And so there's a lot of wins there for the user, for the operator, for the hotel, and for us. You're live at CES this week introducing some of your products. Tell us what you're showing at CES. Yeah, yeah. as a matter of fact, you know, I'm, I'm on the CES floor show right now setting up our, our system, um, and we're super excited. So what we did for this show, I mean, it's obviously, you know, consumer electronics show. We've added a, um, a kind of what we think is a game changer. We've added our ability to power um, digital signage, um, digital out-of-home signage. And what that does is, so imagine our system, when you come up to it, you might retrieve a scooter. Uh, and before you do that, you look at our, our sign and it shows all the different mo- mobility options out there. So you might look at that sign and you might say, here's the bus routes, here's the subway routes, here's the train routes, here's the different areas you can pick up, like a zip car. You know, that, that kind of, it's unlimited in terms of being able to display other modality options. And then we can also display like PSAs, public service announcements, where let's say, I know you're up there in San Francisco, like when there's a giant scheme, um, oftentimes they, they try and get the message out. It's going to be very busy here. Take alternative um, routes today um, so we can help with that as well. And cities love that, right? I mean, now you can help, like if you especially kind of put a dense network of these, you can now be broadcasting different transit options and different mo- mobility options out there. And then the other piece is we can serve up very well-vetted digital ads, and that helps pay for the system. So, I mean, we're excited to show, look, normally you see maybe some kind of a digital ad out there, and it's just all it's doing is advertising. But this is it's advertising, and it's helping pay for something that's really cool. You can use the actual physical scooters, but also it's helping support the different displays we put up there that show all the different transit options out there, all in one place, all you know, instead of having to look on three or four different apps. You mentioned earlier that you have these docks that are set up for kick scooters and you can modify them to also work for electric bikes. How are you looking at uh, micromobility as the form factors continue to iterate and evolve so quickly? People are talking about pods. I'm not even going to go there on Segway with their little... Uh, chair that they introduced. I don't even know what that is, but let's assume that there are pods and golf carts and other things that are coming down the road. How do you envision uh, working with uh, micromobility companies, manufacturers, providers to try to evolve your service to uh, continue to be the gas station for micromobility uh, going forward. Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, we, you know, we we're, we live and breathe this stuff, and and we're students of the game of constantly seeing what's out there. So, so yeah, I mean, our, our long view is that we want to be, you know, literally, like I said, the gas station of the future. Um, I'll, I'll give you a quick kind of funny antidote to that. Um, one of the one of the bigger oil companies out there that we're engaged with they were saying when we were talking about the future of micromobility, as he said, Colin, we make our money off three ways, oil and gas, chemicals, and, um, and uh, retail, because they have all these gas stations. If you look at the world now, every, it's already proven in all this, is that people are flocking to major urban cities. So cities are growing, two, three quarters of the world will live in cities by 2050. And so 
they look at it that, okay, the usage of the oil and gas is going down and people are moving into cities. And what he told me is, Colin, no one's looking at building a, you know, gas combustion engine to move people around. It's all going to be electrified. And so if you look at that, yeah, of course, it's not just going to be scooters. It's going to be bikes, it's going to be pods, it's going to be whatever. And so our whole kind of system is, is meant to be very adaptable to that. So, you know, what we aren't in is we're not in, you know, EV charging. That requires two, three-phase power. I mean, it's a whole different ballgame. But the domain we want to play in is, is sort of light electric vehicles, 1,000 watts of power and below, maybe 30, you know, 30 miles an hour and below. Um, and so that's what we look forward to is applying, you know, a lot, a lot of our stuff has been patented, um, applying a lot of that, our systems to handle basically just different form factors. And, you know, I think scooters are going to be here for quite a while because they're simple and elegant and the barrier to, to getting on them is, is very, you know, is very low. I mean, you, a lot of people will try it. Um, it's very fun. Most people, you know, grew up with a scooter in their garage at this point. So they, they know what they are and know how to ride them. But we're already engaged with some other companies that have three-wheeled things. And, and like you mentioned, kind of like a, not a golf cart, but almost like a hybrid golf cart. That's what we can do. Because if you think about it, if, the, if your business is based on this asset that it makes money by moving goods or people around, well, then you need to know what's going on with that asset. You need to make sure it's always charged. And how many times is it charged so you know when it's getting to the end of its life cycle for batteries? And, and you know, are these things um, behaving the way they should when they charge? And we've got all kinds of rich data. So that, that's who we want to be is in between um, the charge, you know, charge them all. All right. Final question. Tell us a little bit about your company, Swift Mile, in terms of how many employees, where are you located, and what do you see for the company in the next year or two in terms of growth and activities? Yeah. Um, so we started, like I mentioned, about almost five years ago, really with a PowerPoint and a dream, saying, making this kind of prediction that there's going to be all these light electric vehicles, all these mobility options. And it came true that that part did. And so then we're in regards to all these options out there. And so we really kind of turned a good corner in 2018 where it's, we all of a sudden became very relevant and, and we're continuing to do so. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're constantly asking yourself, am I on the right path? You know, do we have the right solution, you know, to the big problem? Um, and, and that's kind of where we're at now. It's like, okay, big problem. We, we have, a, I think, a really good solution to it. And, and others are coming into the market as we speak, which we're fine with because, you know, you need competition. So that's kind of the, the, where we started. And then there was four co-founders. Today we just moved into our new, what we're calling our Mobility Innovation Lab in San Carlos, California, uh, which we'd love to have you come by at some point. Think of it like uh, Hogwarts for mobility. And we're up to about tw 20 people today. And we're on track probably to be at 40 by the end of the year. Um, but there's all kinds of opportunities that we're, that can really erupt for us in Europe and the United States and the Middle East. So, you know, that's a little dependent, you know, size-wise where we're going to go. But we're looking to be the long-term players. You know, this is it's fun, it's exciting, and, you know, we like to be part of the disruption for the good, I hope. Terrific. Well, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having us. Thanks again to Colin at Swift Mile for joining us. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating or review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
You can find the show notes for this episode and all of our episodes on the Smarter Cars publication at medium.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.